When I was in high school, I was in a math class, and I sat next to a classmate that always got better grades than me. And it really got on my nerves. And it seemed like no matter what I did, even when I studied, that this young lady would always get better grades than me. So I decided one day, I'm going to do better on my test than my classmate. And so I studied and I studied and I studied and I studied. And you know, at some point, uh, I even got to the place where I wasn't even studying to learn stuff anymore. I wasn't even studying to understand math. I was just studying so that I could get a better grade than, the, than my classmate. Because she always did better than me. And then the day of the exam rolled around. And I strutted in there like I was so ready to take this exam. Had my little number two pencil and my erasers and everything that I needed. And I sat down and I took that exam. And I think I knew more about math in that moment than I'd ever had in my entire life. And I felt good. I put my name at the top, go through it, do all my problems, explain my answers, show my proofs or whatever it was. And I strut up there and turn it in and walk out and I feel awesome. And I go a couple of days. And, and when I was in high school, it was like two days and it was about the time you were going to get your exams back in two days. I walk in, there's no papers on the desk. I'm like, Come back the next time, I walk in, and all I can focus on is that stack of graded exams. And I walk in, and I sit down, and I'm just locked in. My friends are talking to me before class. I'm not paying attention. It, it was so weird. All I could do was stare at that stack of exams, wondering what I got on my exam. The teacher comes in, and she starts passing them out. And I can't hear anything. All I can see is the teacher walking from student to student to student because I so desperately and was so determined to do better than my classmate on that math exam. And it was almost like, and I don't think this has actually happened, but it almost felt like everything was silent. The only thing I remember hearing was the ticking of the clock, the seconds on the clock hand, and watching the teacher, she's handing out exams, and it's like tick, 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 and it felt like 4,000 years because my exam on the stack was like third to the bottom. And I'm just sitting there trying to be as patient as I can be, and finally she gets to me. And you know how teachers do the exam? When they hand you back an exam, they fold it like this so nobody can see what the exam is, and they give it to you like this. So she slides me my exam and I take it, put it against my chest because I thought I did good, but I didn't know. And I'm looking over, trying to see what my classmate made. My classmate, she goes, I was so distraught. (laughs) I did not score better than my classmate on this exam. And I remember feeling to myself, like discouraged a little bit. I remember going, and it, it didn't matter that I'd learned a ton of stuff. It didn't matter that I'd actually passed the exam. What mattered to me was that somebody had done better. And I was discouraged. I was distraught. I was frustrated. I remember walking out of class just feeling deflated. And the reason that I tell you that is in 20 years of ministry, here's what I've discovered. 
I've discovered that when it comes to our spiritual life, we're a lot like that. Especially when it comes to prayer, right? We do this comparison thing with prayer. And in a moment, we're going to look at this incredible, powerful, literally earth-shaking prayer meeting. And what I don't want for us to happen, I don't want for us to get discouraged. Because what happens often is that we look at the life of the disciples or we look in the book of Acts and we go, wow, that was amazing. And then we think of ourselves like my own personal prayer life. We may think to ourselves, I don't pray like that. I'm not a good prayer. I must not love God. We start comparing ourselves to the spiritual development of other people. And maybe we get discouraged or maybe we feel alienated. Like today, when you look at the scripture, you may look at that and go, that has never been my experience in prayer ever since I've been alive, since I've been following God. And and maybe you you would feel the temptation or or the the tendency to feel a little alienated from God. I don't want that to happen. Maybe it's going to make you feel confused. I don't want you to be confused about your prayer life. Maybe it's going to make you feel defeated. I don't want you to feel that. Listen, when we look this morning at this incredible, powerful prayer meeting, I don't want you to feel any of those things. I don't want you to pull the old Zach where you look at somebody else's grade, if you will, and they did a better job. And so you walk away going, oh, I just must never be able to do this right. No, that is not what I want for any of you. I want for us to leave today having looked at this powerful, transformational prayer meeting filled with hope, filled with the understanding, maybe not of where it's at for you, but where it can be. I want you to be filled with hope today, knowing that when we talk to God, God listens. I want for us to be filled with hope today that when we go into the presence of God, God isn't some being far away and distant from us. God is with us. I don't want for us to be discouraged. I want for us to be hopeful. I want for us to be excited. I want for what we study today to fill us with excitement and compel us into our prayer closets. Maybe even I want for it to cause us to recommit to the spiritual discipline of prayer. And so this morning, I don't want for us to compare our prayer lives to the apostles in the sense that we feel discouraged or deflated or alienated or confused. I want it to shape us in a powerful way. Now, with that having been said, I want you to get ready to see one of the most incredible prayer meetings in the New Testament that you will ever study in your whole entire life. In Acts chapter 4. If you haven't turned there yet, I invite you to. If you're a guest with us or if you're a regular here and you don't have a copy of the Bible, we'd love to give you a copy of the Bible. We believe that it's the most important and best gift that we could invest into your life. So if you need a printed copy, uh, you're, you like the printed copy, we'd love to give you one. Or if you want one on your phone, I'd be happy to give you some recommendations on uh, how to get the copy of the Word of God onto your phone as a digital app. But in Acts chapter 4, we are going to be studying this morning, beginning in verse 23. Here's what just happened. Peter and John, through the power of God, did a great miracle. And when they did a great miracle, because it was in public, a lot of people gathered. Because a lot of people gathered, Peter seized the opportunity and he preached a little sermon in the streets one day as everybody gathered. And it was an effective sermon and everybody was inspired and awe-stricken by what Peter was saying. But while he was preaching, some local officials show up 
annoyed that there's preaching going on in the streets, they grab them, put them in jail, spend the night in jail, wake up the next morning, go before the authorities, and the authorities say, who do you think you are, and in what name are you doing these miracles and teaching? And Peter loves to preach, so he preaches again. And he tells them, we do this in the name of Jesus because there's no other name by which salvation may be found except in the name of Jesus. And as Peter and John are standing in front of all of these religious authorities and and important figures, these important figures and authority figures start telling Peter and John, you have to stop doing this. You can't keep preaching in the name of Jesus. And the scripture says they actually threaten them before they let them go home. That's the context in which we pick up this morning. So they've been through a lot over the past 24 hours. They've seen miracles. They've preached sermons. They've been arrested. They've been put in jail. They've been threatened. I mean, an emotional roller coaster. Now, in verse, in chapter 4, verse 23, when they were released, They went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them about being threatened. They reported all of that to them. Verse 24 says, And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and they said, Sovereign Lord. Now let me tell you something cool. We get to study the content of a prayer meeting that happened thousands of years ago. We're studying this morning exactly what people were praying to God all these years ago. They began their prayer, verse 24, they began their prayer by saying, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through by the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage? And the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Pause right there. If, if you're having a hard time processing what that means, this is a verse from the Old Testament. Basically, in this prayer meeting, they are quoting scripture back to God and they are remembering that it is the tendency of kings and human governments to set themselves against God and fight against God. And they're recounting from the Old Testament that it's futile and it's in vain. Pick back up in verse 27. For truly in this city... There were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look up on their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And so this morning, uh, we love to give out note sheets for us to make notes on. And you see it's basically broken into two categories this morning. The first thing we're going to do is think about what are signs of a powerful, effective, meaningful prayer meeting. 
And then we're going to ask, what do we learn from that? How do we take what was written so long ago and figure out how to apply that to our own life? And I want for us to do that in this order. And to do that, we're actually doing something a little strange and weird this morning. We're starting from the bottom and we're working our way up. Normally, when a teaching elder comes up here and preaches the word of God or teaches the word of God, we read a scripture and then we jump back up at the top and we just start working through it, asking, what does this teach about God? What does this teach about us? What's inspiring? What's challenging? How should my life change? We go from the top to the bottom, but this morning we're starting at the last verse that we studied because it is in that verse that we discover signs of an effective prayer meeting. Now remember, we're not looking at this prayer meeting in order to discourage ourselves. We're looking at this prayer meeting to understand what God was doing and to be inspired and be filled with hope about how important and powerful prayer could be, not only in their life, but in our life as well. Signs of an effective prayer meeting. Signs of a powerful prayer meeting. I want to share with you three. The first, I want you to notice, the place was shaken. Now, I probably don't have to point that out to you because when we were reading the passage, it probably caught your attention because miracles always catch our attention. When somebody's blindness is healed, it catches our attention. When somebody can't walk and they walk, it catches our attention. When somebody's dead and they're brought to life, it catches our attention. This scripture says in verse 31 that after they prayed, the place was shaken. Look with me if you would in verse 31. Last verse that we study. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Question. Why include that? Why did the author of Acts, when the author was writing the memoir of what happened in the book of Acts and all the things that were unfolding, why did the author stop to think to include That the place was shaken. Now you may say, well, because that's something that happened. Yeah, but don't you understand that the author didn't include everything. Probably somebody coughed. The author didn't write that. Probably somebody, when they were praying, maybe they stuttered. The author didn't write. There's a lot of things that didn't get written. But the author intentionally decided to write in the fact that after they prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken. Why? I think it's to remind us. And I say remind. Many of us know this. This may be new information for you today. But but to communicate to us that when human beings engage and spend time with and commune with God, incredible things happen. Do you know that? Are you convinced of that this morning? Do you know that when you get with God, when you, a finite human being, when we as human beings spend spend time in the presence of God, incredible things happen. Now, what's significant about this place being shaken is that it demonstrates for us that when they were praying, not only was God listening, but everything around them was impacted because of their prayer time with God. Think about that for a second. 
Because they were with God, their surroundings were impacted. Now, this is not the only place that we find this happen in the word of God. Go all the way back into the Old Testament. There's a guy by the name of Moses who went up on the mountain one day to meet with God while all the Israelites waited down below. He went up and met with God. And the scripture says that when he came back down the mountain... And the Israelites saw him after having spent time in the absolute manifest presence of God that he was glowing. He had been with God. And they were frightened. Think about that. You come out of your prayer closet or you spend time praying at your meal. You say, in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Look up and you've been with God so deeply that you're glowing and everybody's going, what happened to you? That's what happened to Moses. You see, being with God changes our surroundings. We also see it in the book of 1 Samuel. There's a character in 1 Samuel. Her name is Hannah. And Hannah's heart is broken over a very important matter to her. And it says that one day Hannah came to the temple and she went to the altar to spend time to pray. And she was so upset. She was so moved. She was so broken and distraught that her emotional prayer time with God to the priest who was watching her prayer time, the priest looked at that and said, she must be drunk. I mean, how would you like to be judged like that? I mean, at the end of our service today, we're going to have an altar call. We haven't had one in a long time. The pandemic really messed up our altar calls and invitations. We're having an altar call today where we're inviting people to come forward and pray. Can you imagine how offended you would be if you came and just laid your heart out to God and you were weeping at the altar and at the end of the service, I come up to you and I say, listen, you really shouldn't be drinking before you come to church. Drinking? What are you talking about? Well, I saw the way that you were kind of blubbering down at the altar, and and it's kind of clear that you're a little. Can you imagine how insane of a pastor I would have to be to misjudge something like that? Hannah is in the presence of God so deeply that no human being can look at that and make sense of it. The only thing that the priest could think is, She must have been drinking. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying because he knows he's about to go to that cross for our sins. And the scripture says that he's having such an intense moment with God. That it's almost as though he were sweating blood. You see, I want you to understand that when we get in a space with God and get serious and get passionate about praying, surroundings change. Now, this may, this may be a little alarming to you. If you're here today and this is your first time or you're here, you're new to the faith and you're like testing out whether or not you want to investigate Christianity and I'm up here telling you that prayer changes surroundings and you're going, I don't know if I want to glow. <laughs> I don't know if I want those types of things. Listen to me. It doesn't... The question is, is is the ground going to shake every time that I pray? No. (laughs) 
me answer that for you. And it didn't happen that way every time the apostles were praying. And if that doesn't happen, it doesn't mean that you're not good at praying. And it doesn't mean that you don't love God. And it doesn't mean that you lack faith. You see, that's, that's the mistake that we make. We start comparing my prayer life to what happened in the scripture. That's not what I'm talking about. The point I'm trying to make is when we really step into our prayer time with God, the surroundings change. That's what I wanted to express to you this morning. The place where they prayed was shaken. Powerful prayer meeting. The second sign of a powerful prayer meeting, you notice in verse 31, it says not only was the place shaken, but the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. So their surroundings were impacted, but their lives were also impacted. I want to say to you this morning that if, as we think about prayer this morning and as I champion prayer and you think about whether or not you want to pray more, maybe you're asking yourself, why should I pray more? Well, this point is the perfect one for you because when we spend time in prayer, it not only impacts our surroundings, it impacts us. The scripture scripture says that the place was shaken. In verse 31, if you want to look back, the place was shaken And they were filled with the Spirit of God. And so Bible students may look at that and they may say, wait a second, Pastor, time out. Let's back up a second. What do you mean filled with the Spirit of God? They've already been filled with the Spirit of God. The day of Pentecost has already come. They've already received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How is it that the same people who were there at the day of Pentecost who received the Holy Spirit, now here in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it's saying they were filled with the Spirit. Weren't they already filled with the Spirit? Yes, the answer is yes. I want to explain that for those of you who are interested in this discussion. Let me take a second and just explain What's happening in the scripture so that you don't walk away going that the spirit fills us and then abandons us and then fills us and then abandons us. I don't want you to think that when we have God, we have God. And when he has us, he has us. And here's, here's the dynamic that's at play. The scripture says oftentimes throughout the book of Acts that those people who were there on the day of Pentecost comes to this important moment, whether it's about to preach or whether it's after a moment of prayer. And it says that that God filled them with the Spirit. It isn't meant to communicate that they didn't have the presence of God before that. It's meant to punctuate the importance of that moment. Almost as though God were saying, let me embolden you and fill you with boldness and fill you with courage and let me while I'm always with you minister to you fill you and touch you in a special way that prepares you to do this great work that I have for you let me give you an example we know you know this you know that God is all places at all times you know that when you walk in for the 1030 service that God is already here because we had a 9 a.m. service But you know that even before the 9 a.m. service, God was here. But, but still, do you know what we do on Sunday morning before people start showing up? The leadership team, the tech team, and the worship team, myself, and everybody who's leading, either on the platform or off the platform, we gather in the music room and we pray. And we all know that God is with us always. But do you know what we pray? 
We pray that God would make his presence known in a special and powerful way. And I think that's what's happening in the scripture. It's not as though the presence of God is not with them. It's that in a unique and profound and powerful way, God is answering their prayer and emboldening them to continue the ministry that they're doing. What's a powerful prayer meeting? It's where the surroundings are impacted. It's where the the believers are impacted. But do you see that last phrase in verse 31? And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Our surroundings are impacted, the believers are impacted, and the world around us are impacted. That's a powerful prayer meeting. Now, I want to say to you this morning that I choose to take steps in my own personal prayer life and in staff and with elders and with us as the fellowship, as a family, this is the type of prayer time that I long for. I want for our surroundings to be changed and our lives to be changed and the world around us to be changed because we spent time in the presence of God, seeking his face, calling out to him. I think that's important. But the question is, How do we get there? What do we see in this scripture that really helps us to understand how do I go from where I am to this type of prayer meeting? I want to help you this morning. Uh, You see the the section called What We Learn. Uh, This is something that we've learned that we can apply to our own life. We may not live in the same city that this took place we may not live in the same generation that this took place. We, not, we may not speak the same language that they spoke when this took place. But what if we identify some common things that were true of this scripture that we can go away and do also? And I want to share with you three of those. The first is this. Find a praying group of friends. I think it's important to notice that this was a communal, a community, a gathering of people. This wasn't a private prayer time. This was something that they were doing together. You see, Peter and John went back to their friends. Notice this. Before we notice this, let me just tell you, this is going to step on some of our toes. So I just want you to be prepared for that. But, but I want you to notice this. When Peter and John went to see their friends, the first thing the friends did is they started to pray. Now I want you to see that because this is an important part of what I want for us to develop today. Look in verse 23. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and they began to pray. Now, here's the toe-stepping-on portion of the message. Are you ready? Some of us don't run to friends who are ready to pray. Some of us run to friends who want to gossip. You see, they didn't gossip. 
when, when, when they ran to their friends and said, let me tell you what happened. They didn't start gossiping. And they didn't say, oh, you know what? Let's, let's all just gather here and let's talk about how we can get them back. Let's see. All right. How can we get revenge? Better, let, better yet, hey, uh, Peter, get a pen. Let's write down some ways we can get them fired. Let's get these chief priests out of here. Now, I don't know how you get a chief priest fired. But do you understand what I'm saying? Oftentimes, we run to people who are going to do everything but stop right in that moment and start praying. I mean, these are friends who didn't need to be told to pray. They didn't schedule a prayer meeting. They just started doing it right there where they were. If we want to have any chance at living this type of life where the world around us is different because we are a praying people, we're going to have to surround ourselves with people who are always ready to go into the presence of God with prayer. Always ready. And students, I know we got a lot of students in here today. Can I just challenge you to be that type of person at school? I don't even know if you go to school anymore. Maybe you go Zoom school or whatever you, I don't even know anymore. But what if, students, what if you were known not by how funny you were or how popular you were or or how much money you have or don't have or whether you have the cool shoes or the not cool shoes or you're the best skater or not? What if you were known as the one who was always ready to pray for somebody who was having struggles? How awesome would that be, students? What about the professionals? What if you were like, a job missionary and you were always ready to stop. Now I want to be careful here because right when I said at the beginning, I don't want us to feel bad about ourselves. I don't want for us to be defeated or deflated. That's not what I'm saying. I want for us to be motivated and understand that if we want to get prayer right, we need to find a group of people who are always ready to do that. Not talk about it. Have you ever been to a prayer meeting where all you did was talk about prayer? <laughs> I have been to those. I want you to notice they didn't talk about praying. They just started praying. And you know, you can see I'm so passionate about this. This is like the biggest soapbox that I have. So I'm going to move on. But please hear my heart this morning. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we need these type of people. We need people in our life who are ready to stop everything and go into the presence of God. What do we learn? Find ourselves praying friends. Second, understand who God is. Understand who we're talking to. Understand my position before God. Understand God's position to me. However you want to write it, but we need to have a group of praying friends and we need to have a proper view of God. Did you notice what these people were praying? Again, remember, we've said this a couple of times in the past 
like two years and three months that I've been here. These people had no seminary training. They had no theological degrees. They had no PhDs in Old Testament studies and New Testament studies. But yet look what they knew. Look in, look in verse 24. When they lifted up their voice, what did they know about God? They knew God was sovereign. Sovereign Lord is how they begin their prayer. They began by expressing the sovereignty of God. Sovereign Lord. Then they go on to talk about God as the creator. God, you are sovereign and you're the creator of all. You're the creator of heaven. You're the creator of earth. You're the creator of the sea. You're creator of all things. They acknowledge who God is. God is sovereign and he's a creator. And, and you noticed, I mentioned when we were reading the text, that they start quoting the Old Testament. And what they're doing is they're establishing the victorious nature of God. He is sovereign, he's creator, and he's victorious. In fact, when they're talking about God's enemies in verse 25 and 26, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? Isn't it interesting that kings and rulers from today all the way backwards, you know, hit rewind and go back as far as you can go, humans are always seeking to displace the sovereignty of God and they have consistently with 100% accuracy failed. And so what can we learn from that? That I need a group of friends that are ready to pray at the drop of a hat. That when I come into the presence of God to pray, that I need to respect who God is. I need to understand who God is. Now, do I have a full and complete view and understanding of God? No. Absolutely not. But I know he's sovereign. I know he's creator. I know he's victorious. And even before there was a request made, they were crying out before God who he was. Sovereign God. Creator God. Victorious God. And then they get to the request, which, if I could just say, blows my mind. Their request, I want to share this point, and then we're going to, we're going to wrap up and go to prayer time. I told you before, we're going to open the altars today. How can we preach about prayer and not open the altars for us to spend time praying? But I don't want for us to rush through this point. Because it truly is heart-shaking for me. They didn't pray for comfort. They didn't pray for safety. And they didn't pray, oh God, please don't ever let those horrible things happen to me again. That jail was horrible and the food was horrible. And I didn't enjoy being in front of the chief priests and all of those leaders. They don't pray that. Can we just appreciate this morning what they prayed in verse 29? He says, and now, Lord, and now, Lord, look up on their threats and grant to your servants 
to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signed in wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They were asking for the kingdom of God to expand, even coming off of a time of being persecuted, having been thrown in jail because of their faith, having been threatened because of their faith. The first time that they are recorded as praying, they're not asking God for comfort and they're not asking God for safety. And they're not asking God to protect them from that never happening again. All they want is another shot to expand the kingdom of God. Wow. I pray that for us. You know, we've been talking a lot in leadership groups. And when the service is over, we're milling around and we're talking about what direction is our culture going? What direction is society going? Is it, what is, are we going to be, is this going to be outlawed? Are we going to get in trouble for this? Listen, here's the answer. I don't know, but what I do want and what I do know is I just want for us to continue to be the gospel lighthouse in the East and Massachusetts and Bristol County. And in this region of the world, I just want for us to have a shot at expanding the kingdom of God. Isn't that what you want? We don't know what the future holds, but let's, let's appreciate this prayer meeting today. Wow. They had a group of friends that were ready to pray. They understood who, who it was that they were talking to. And they all they wanted was for the gospel to pour through their life into this broken world. Remember, we're not going to look at their perspective or their prayer life and feel discouraged. We're going to say, starting today, I'm going to take a step towards that. And so even as you think about your own prayer life, even as you think this morning about what would it take to get to that perspective and to have the courage to say something like that to God, my prayer so whatever the answer is it doesn't deflate you it doesn't make you feel defeated it emboldens you to take steps towards a deeper prayer life that's what I want and woe be unto me if we were to look at a powerful prayer meeting and end with anything other than prayer so in a moment, we're going to open the altars and you're welcome to come forward. And if you're recent to the fellowship, this may be something that's new for you. So let me just explain what this is. Uh, since the pandemic, we haven't done this. Since the coronavirus showed up on the scene, we haven't done this. But uh, the fellowship has a history of at the end of the service, opening the altars for people to come and literally to kneel before God. Or if you're physically unable to kneel, to stand and just to pray, just to be in the presence of God and and to cry out to God. Sometimes people pray out loud down here and, and sometimes people don't pray out loud. Sometimes they just pray silently. But that's what we call an altar call. It's an invitation for people, if they're sensing the movement of God in their life, to come and pray. But I I, I mentioned to you that one of the things that we need to do is to find a group of friends who are ready to pray for us. Do you know that you have that here at the fellowship? We call them elders. 
And the elders are going to be down at the front as well. And if you don't want to come and pray by yourself, if you want somebody to pray with you or for you or over you, then you can come and approach one of our elders and they would love to be able to do that. Uh, Richard is an elder and Mark is an elder. They're going to be on this side and Ernie and David are going to be on this side. Now, understand this. If you walk past them to the altar, you will not offend them. They want you to be in the presence of God, but they will be here at the front if you would like somebody to agree with you in prayer. I want to ask you to stand. We're going to pray together. And then once we pray briefly together, we're going to open the altars for anybody who wants to come forward and pray to pray. And as we bow, I say a word to those of you who are with us online. That the place in which you are right now, God is there. And that can be an altar as well. And we invite you to participate in this altar call by praying where you are as well. Lord, as we open the altars, as we extend the invitation to come forward for prayer, Lord, would you just do whatever you want to in this moment? Thank you for the apostles. Thank you for giving us a chance to know what the content of their prayer meeting was. And now would you receive us as we step into a moment of prayer. Shake us, Lord, at our core and our foundations, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take a few moments, a few minutes. If you want to come forward, come forward. Uh, When it seems like we're completed and done, we'll close the service. But if you want to come forward, please do that. Father, as we close our time together, we uh, fight and refuse to adopt a spirit of discouragement. As we look at these apostles' prayer life, instead we choose to be inspired by them and encouraged by them and shaped by their faithfulness to go right into your presence The moment's notice. We do acknowledge, O oh Lord, uh, that in a few moments we will finish our time here and we will step back out into a world that desperately needs someone to continue to speak the word of God boldly. May it be us, O oh God. May it be us. Help us to speak to the world with a love and a compassion that is true of us who live in the kingdom of God. And as we prepare to go from this place, we pray that you bless us to bless others. May the world be different this week because we have spent time in prayer together as a people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.